Um, If you have a Bible, you can open it to the book of Jonah. We are going to spend the next several weeks um, uh, on a series that um, where we're looking at um, what we're calling the relentless love of God in the book of Jonah. It's just an incredible story, an incredible account, uh, one that everyone hears in Sunday school, and one that is hard for us to sort of wrap our minds around outside of the context of Sunday school. Uh, We can't help but think most people associate Jonah with one thing, which is a whale, um, and, um, and then everybody has different opinions and ideas and understandings of what Jonah is about beyond that. But it, there is so much in the story of this prophet and uh, so much that I think we can relate to. Um, I'll be honest, I tend to be someone who when I read about a lot of characters in the Bible, I have a hard time relating to them because I think I would never do that. And so when I read about a disciple who drops everything and follows Jesus for their life, I'm like, I don't know that I would do that if he came and asked me to, to be honest. If, he, uh, if, if I was a person who was a prophet and God came to me and they said, I want you to go and then do what these prophets do uh, that we read about in the Bible, I think I'm not sure that I would go and do that. I'm not sure that I would actually say yes to that. Um, and uh, I think that what I appreciate about Jonah is I'm like, I would do this. This one's about me. Uh, and so uh, you may be like, well, that's not good if Jonah's about you. But I think the hope is to be able to see quite a bit of ourselves in this because I think there's a reason, obviously, that Scripture includes the account of a prophet who is much more reluctant than the rest. And I think there's a reason why we can relate to that. So we're going to um, start with just three verses this morning. And we're actually going to start um, just with the first two right now. And I'll put them up on the screen, and, um, and then we'll go from there. We're going to look at Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 through 2, which say this. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. And you could stop right there. We're just going to stop right there for a second and look at what this is talking about. So um, Jonah is a prophet. We read about him only one other time in 2 Kings. And we read that he's a prophet who served in the time of uh, Jeroboam. Um, and uh, we know that Jeroboam um, was really sort of into expanding territory in the area in which Israel covered, and, um, and uh, Jonah was supportive of that. He was kind of behind that idea, whereas not all were. And so one of the things that we know about Jonah is that he's fairly patriotic in terms of, like, he's very into the expansion of the actual empire. He's into, um, you know, the idea of sort of Israel first. Um, And probably that means that he has pretty strong feelings and opinions about anybody outside of that group, about anybody outside of that empire, for example, like the Ninevites. So God comes to Jonah and he says to him, I want you to go and I want you to um, arise, 
Go to Nineveh, which is commonly what's said to prophets. Uh, Arise and go. Arise and go. Okay, I want you to stand up and I want you to go and do something in my name. And like I said before, I think a lot of us uh, don't often stop and ask the question, like, would I even get that far, right? Arise and go. Okay, go and and speak to the people I I want you to speak to. Do something on my behalf. I'm going to use you. I think a lot of times in life, we are like desperate to know what God wants us to do. We're like, I mean, most people I talk to are like, I just don't know what he wants me to do, but I would give anything to know, like, what is the right path that I'm supposed to be on? What is the right thing that I'm supposed to do? What is the right decision in this situation? Because I honestly just want to know what that is, and then I, because I, I, I think I would do it. I think it's just the problem is that I don't know. I'm not sure what God wants me to do. So you hear something like this, and you think God being this clear with the person saying, arise and go do something, it's like, good. I've got clarity. I know what it is, To be in God's will, I know what it is that he wants me to do. The question then, of course, is can I do it? Will I do it? He says, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. Nineveh is a major city of the Assyrian Empire, which is also known as the Babylonian Empire. These are the bad guys in the story, okay? They are a superpower, and in that part of the world where the Israelites live, they're a huge force to be dealt with constantly. And they're a huge presence in reality. Not only were they a powerful nation, but they used this power, they used the strength that they had to constantly persecute the Israelites, Jonah's people. So God is saying to him, I want you to go out and I want you um, to call out against Nineveh because their evil has come up before me. Now, uh, if you're Jonah and these are your sworn enemies um, in life, then that might be good news, right? God wants you to go and be the one that's going to bring wrath to these people. But Jonah knows enough about how being a prophet works that he knows that that's not what God is saying. What God is saying to him is, I want you to go to these people and I want you to bring them essentially a warning, of my judgment, a warning of uh, my wrath upon them for what they've done to you, my people. This changes everything completely. Now what God is saying to Jonah is, I want you to go and potentially give these people an opportunity to change their ways, to actually no longer be enemies of mine or you, but to actually experience deliverance from the wrath that I'm going to bring them for their evil ways and all the horrible things that they've done. One of the um, first papers that I wrote in seminary was on um, the Ninevites. And I remember looking through the library there back in the day when there were libraries um, and uh, there were physical books that you would look at. And I remember finding this old book on the Babylonian Empire and the Assyrians specifically. And I remember reading in this book things that just absolutely shocked me and then being so frustrated because I was like, I can't say most of this stuff into church on a Sunday morning. It's just too awful. It's like rated R to the extreme when it comes to what the Assyrian and the Babylonians were like. If you want to hear that stuff, I'll talk to you about it after church. Um, I think they talk about all that stuff in youth group. They don't really worry about it over there. But I can just tell you guys this that the, uh, the Ninevites were the worst of the worst. 
The Assyrians were a people who made it a regular pattern to not only do bad things, but they really enjoyed bragging about the bad things that they did. In fact, that's one of the reasons we know so much is because their leaders, their kings, these people, um, they bragged so often about the atrocities and the horrible things that they committed, especially against people like the Israelites. Not only bragging about it verbally or writing it down, but they actually um, had um, panels made up um, that covered their walls of the throne rooms, covered the walls of their, of their city outside their temple and their great places. And, and those things, they were carved into stone, images of and depictions of and descriptions of the horrible atrocities they, they had committed. So it's like, hey, if we're going to decorate with anything here, uh, the Ninevites said, their leaders, their kings said, let's decorate with uh, images of the horrible things we've done to these people. Let's decorate by describing uh, the horrible things that we've done to these people because we're so proud of it and because that's so much a part of who we are. Because of that, we know a tremendous amount about the kinds of things that Jonah and his people had to deal with at the hands of the Assyrians, of the Ninevites. They dismembered people, which means cutting off their limbs, and one of the things that the kings were so proud of was that they would uh, cut off everything but one arm uh, so that they could shake a person's hand as they were dying. They made parades out of heads. They would actually make people carry the heads of their loved ones on sticks around as a parade, as a way of boasting and showing on these elevated poles um, that their family member had died, but they hadn't. They stretched people with ropes so that they could skin them alive. And they put these skins all over the walls of their throne rooms and their cities. I'm saving the worst stuff, guys, believe me. One king bragged, um, I flayed as many nobles as had rebelled against me. I draped their skins over piles. I, I cut off heads of their fighters, built them with a tower before, I, before the city. I burned their children. I captured people alive. Um, I cut off arms, legs, noses, ears. I gouged out the eyes made a pile of the living, and I made a pile of the, the dead, and I made a pile of heads. I hung them on trees around the cities. Um, I came downstairs this morning, and my son was on my computer, and he was reading my sermon. And so there's a, there's a sentence right in here that I left in. It just says, the Ninevites are insane, with three exclamation marks. I didn't write that. Um, I think that was, that was his interpretation, so I'm leaving it in. The Ninevites are insane. Nahum the prophet had prophesied against the Ninevites prior to this, saying that God would call judgment down upon them, that God would punish them for their wickedness. And so the Israelites looked forward to this. It was kind of like, you know, at the very least, we know that ours is a God of justice, and ours is a God who will punish our enemies. If you're the Israelite people and you've endured this kind of pain and torture, and you're asking, why God? Why would you do this? Why would you allow this to happen? Why would you allow our enemies to win if you're the God who is so great? I can almost guarantee you that much of what they experienced would come during times when they were probably disobedient to God and he handed them over their enemies. But nevertheless, God is a God of justice. And he made it clear to his people that one day they would pay, that one day there would be judgment. Nahum prophesied this and people looked forward to it. Imagine then that God comes to you, Jonah, and says, I want you to go to those people, not, not to bring my judgment. 
I'm not starting that. I want you to bring the word of me to them so that they might have the opportunity to respond to me before this happens. Here we are confronted in the story of Jonah with just how hard it can be to follow God. Just how hard it is to follow a God who is both just and compassionate to people. A God who cares about good and evil, right and wrong, a God who punishes sin and condemns evil, but also a God who shows grace, a God who shows love towards those who don't deserve it. Here we see how hard it is to be faithful to a God like that, a God who's compassionate towards my enemies, a God whose love extends beyond my comfort because he's actually doing something that involves me and making my life a little bit more difficult. The work, the work of a prophet is essentially to go deliver a message that they know their audience is not going to be very receptive to. That is how being a prophet works. It was not an easy job. When God calls Jeremiah, uh, when he calls Isaiah, Elijah, these people, and, and, and the like, he led them to bring a message to their own people knowing that those people would probably already be against it. It's like telling a friend that what they're doing is hurting them but you know they enjoy it, and you know they're not going to listen to you, and you know that they're going to do everything possible to not hear what it is you're saying. They're going to write you off. They're going to say you did a bad job of communicating it. You don't really care about me. They're going to demonize you or something. But you know, if you've ever had to talk to someone about something that you know they won't want to hear, they're going to have all these defenses up to it. That was what it was to be a prophet to God's own people. But at the very least... You knew, if you were those guys, that you were bringing God's message of hope to your own people. You, you could feel like, I know that God's going to maybe use this, that this thing I'm doing, I'm doing out of love for my people because I want them to have an opportunity to repent and to turn back to God. And so even if it makes me their enemy in their eyes, I know that I'm doing it out of love for them, and they're my people. They're the ones that I love more than anyone. There's a difference when God calls a prophet to their own people and when he calls them to somebody, or even when he calls a person who's not a prophet to speak out to someone who is a great power, somebody who is incredibly dangerous, somebody who can hurt you or who can kill you, who can do horrible things to you. This is why when God goes to Moses and he says to Moses that I want you to go and I want you to speak to the Egyptians and get them to let my people go, Moses says, please God, no. He says, I, have a, I, I don't speak well, I kind of stutter, I'm not eloquent. God, please, there's got to be somebody else that you can use. And then God gets frustrated with him and is like, I'm going to use you. You're going to do what I'm asking you to do just fine. Just go and obey me and bring my message to these people, the, the Egyptians. And even after God says that to him, what does Moses say back in Exodus 4.13? But he said, oh, my Lord. Please send someone else. This is what Moses says to God. Oh, my Lord, please send someone else. I'm, I'm sure that none of us could ever relate to what this would feel like, right? That if God said go, that our message may not be, oh, Lord, please send someone else, right? There has got to be someone who is more qualified for this. There has got to be somebody who's got a heart for these people or for this cause, 
There has got to be somebody who is going to do a better job or at the very least, like, wouldn't hate the idea of this nearly as much as I know I hate it as I'm hearing it from you right now, God. It is possible that each and every one of us will find ourselves in a spot again and again and again and desiring to follow after Jesus, which is this. We're going to find ourselves in following a God who is both just and compassionate, who is gracious and loving, but also cares about evil and good, about right and wrong. We're going to find ourselves, if we seek to follow that God again and again in a situation where things don't make sense where they don't line up, where God is calling us to do things and God is calling us to participate in something that we're like, this does not make sense to me. I don't know how to trust God in this because it seems like what he wants me to do is too difficult, too painful, or it literally just goes against what I thought, the way I thought things were supposed to work, which is what is happening for Jonah without question. Jonah's got a problem. He's got a couple of things that he's dealing with here. The first one is this. Can I trust a God who shows compassion towards my enemies? Can I trust God? I could trust him when he told us that he was going to punish our enemies. But can I trust a God, not just of justice, but of grace? The fact is, Jonah is not representative of all the Israelite people or of all the Israelite prophets. People ask, scholars ask this, have asked this for many years, right? Is, is Jonah sort of a representation of how anybody would have acted at the time, of how any uh, prophet would have acted, but he isn't. He's a person who has some of the strongest feelings against the enemies of God's people. He's not probably known for being a very gracious guy, and he's not known for being somebody who you would think of to go do this thing. He probably has a pretty hard time trying to be compassionate towards the enemies of his people. And yet God calls him to do this thing. And the problem is he can't really trust in a God who's going to be compassionate towards the Ninevites, who's going to overlook this thing that they've done. The other problem that Jonah has is, can I trust a God who puts me in harm's way? Why would Jonah not want to do this? Why would Jonah not want to travel um, to Nineveh, which is very far over lots of desert, in order to go to this great city where people are sworn enemies of the Israelites and brag about and boast in and take quite a bit of pleasure from hurting them and torturing them and killing them? Why would he not want to go and do that? Because he's afraid for his life. He's terrified. God's asking him to do something that is absolutely terrifying. And it seems like so unlikely that it, was, it would result in anything but, did you hear about that guy Jonah and the horrible, horrible way that he died? Right? Can I trust a God who puts me in harm's way? When we talk about trusting in God, can I trust a God who does that? Or what do I do when God doesn't seem to know what he's doing? Didn't God say that the Ninevites, didn't Nahum say something like, wasn't this supposed to go a certain way? Aren't we all anticipating that to happen? And now what God's asking me to do, I got to be honest, it just doesn't really make sense. 
It doesn't really make sense. The harder I try to think about it, the more I try to make sense of it, I can't really see how it lines up enough that I personally can feel good about it. I get it. I can wrap my mind around it. I can understand what God's doing. If I can't understand what God's doing, if I can't make sense of this thing, if I can't see the point of it or the purpose of it, if I can't see how it's going to help me or if it's going to help my people or if it's going to make life better in some way, then can I really trust God like I thought I could before? These are all problems that Jonah has to deal with. Can I trust a God who shows compassion towards my enemies? Can I trust a God who puts me in harm's way? What do I do when God doesn't seem to know what he's doing? The truth is that if we're going to follow this God of ours, then we're going to find ourselves in situations in our life where we have to ask this question, can I really still trust God? Can I trust him in the midst of what's happening right now? Can I trust him in the thing that he's calling me to do or the circumstances that I find myself in that don't seem to lead to life? It looks like they're going to lead to death. Can I trust God when I can't make sense of what's happening enough that I can feel satisfied with where I see this going? Because that's what I need. That's all I need. God's made sense up till now. Maybe that's how it feels. But this doesn't make sense. So can I keep trusting him in moving forward? If you've never asked that question, then that's probably not a good thing. If you've sought to follow Jesus or follow God and you haven't found yourself asking this question, can I trust God in this? Can I trust God in this situation that I'm in or can I trust him in what he's calling me to do? Is he holding out on me or not? If you haven't asked that question, then it's very possible that you aren't actually paying very close attention to the things that God is calling you to do, or that you simply aren't aware of the things that God's putting in front of you, and you're not hearing his voice. Because what we see in scripture is that what it looks like to be in the presence of God in a community and to hear his voice in our lives is that we're going to find ourselves in situations where we're going to go, can I really trust God in this thing right now? Because it doesn't seem easy to do that. So this is the first doubt that it was born in the garden. When God created Adam and Eve, man and woman. And he said to them, you must eat, uh, you can eat of whatever you find in the garden. You can live here in paradise. But the only thing I'm calling you to not do is to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He tells them this one thing not to do, and what occurs to them in that situation when the enemy tempts them is this. Is God holding out on me? Does God not know what he's doing? Can I really trust that God knows what is best for me? He could give me more. He could treat me better. He could take this thing away. He could call me to do something that would make a lot more sense than this right now. Um, if that's the case, then uh, doubt creeps in, we, we, we think. If, if we entertain those thoughts or if we're asking those questions, which I think we've all asked or most of us probably have, then we go, what do I do now? So what does Jonah do? What does Jonah do when he starts having to ask these questions and things stop making sense? We read about it in the next verse. 
in verse 3, but Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down to it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Can you tell where he's going? Do you think there's like emphasis here on where he's going? It says it three times in one verse, and it's very clear here that what Jonah is doing, he's, he's being very intentional about doing it. He didn't, he didn't fall into this, okay? He set his mind and, and, his, he, and his thoughts on what he would do, and it was very clear. God tells him, go, arise up and go, speak this message to these people, and Jonah's response is this, I'm out of here. There's significance to the place that Jonah chooses to go. Because if you were to look on a map, and you were to look at where Nineveh is, which is pretty far away in one direction, in the east, over the desert, over the land, pretty far, if you were to pick a spot that is equally as far in the opposite direction, you would get Tarshish. That's why he picked it. You want me to go over land? I'll tell you one better. I'll go over sea, okay? Uh, I'm gonna, you want me to go this way? I'm going this way. And he finds a spot where he can get on a ship and he pays the ferry, does it all the right way, and he gets on that ship and his whole goal is I'm going to go in as far the other direction as I can from the thing that you're calling me to do, God. Jonah flees from God. He chooses to go the other way. He chooses to run from God instead of going where God calls him to. This is what God leads, this is what happens here. And there is only one of two ways to ever respond to what I think God is doing in our lives. At any given point, at any given time, we can either keep walking with God in that thing and keep trusting God in that thing and keep going in the direction that he's calling us to go, or we can turn and we can go the other way. We can turn and we can flee and we can walk the other way. And nine times out of ten, this doesn't look as extreme as it does here. Nine times out of ten, it doesn't look like I'm abandoning my faith. I'm giving up on Jesus. I'm moving to another town. It looks like us saying, I'm not going to walk through this thing by choice. I'm not going to walk through this thing with God if I'm forced to walk through it. We go, I'm not going to walk through it by choice. He's going to have to drag me through this thing, right? And that if God does drag you through this thing, okay, but I don't have to walk through it with him. I can walk through it without him. I'm going to do whatever I can to survive. I'm going to do whatever I can to end this thing as soon as humanly possible. Make this stop now, is what we say. And if I can't make sense of it, if I can't make sense of what God's doing or what he's called me to do, if I can't see the point of it, and I really need to see the point of it, I need to understand it. If I can't see the purpose, if I can't see how it's going to help me make my life better, or if it's going to help other people make their life better immediately, then obviously that couldn't possibly be what it is that God's calling me to do. Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish, to run from God. Most of the time in the Bible, most of the time people in the Bible um, don't do something, they still at least try to pretend to do that thing. 
Okay, that's what's so funny about Jonah, right? Most of the time, if we're not going to do something, we know enough, we know well enough to know, like, um, I'm going to at least pretend like I'm going to do it, right? They say, sure, God, of course, of course. And then you just try to weasel your way out of it when he's not looking, right? Something came up, something happened, I can't, you understand. We, or they say, sure, God, of course. And then you just take a few steps and then stop, and you don't even really realize that you're not actually doing the thing that God called you to do. You just kind of are focusing on something else after that. Or they say, sure, God, whatever you say, of course, I'll eventually get around to doing the thing that you've called me to do once I do all these other things that are more important. Or obviously, you're only asking me to do it in a way that's going to be safe and going to be comfortable for me. So uh, obviously, I just need to wait and see how I can do this thing, be obedient to you, follow Jesus in this thing um, under, under those circumstances. So I'll just wait, and I'll see when that's going to happen. Or probably the most popular thing, honestly, is just, I don't think I heard that. Like, what? I don't know. Never mind. Right? Like, I, I, didn't, I didn't hear that, I guess, you know. That's the most common responses to God calling his people to do something, calling a person to do something that is really difficult and really painful. It's uncommon for one of God's people to do what Jonah does, which is to just run the other way. Like, just run the other way as fast as they can. But that's exactly what he does, and that's why I love this story so much. He picks a place equal distance from what God's calling him to do, and he goes there. He heads there. And he does it for two reasons. The first is the most obvious. Get as far away from the danger as he possibly can. Self-preservation. God wouldn't possibly want me to do something that's going to hurt me, and if he does, then I'm not interested. God can have it. But the other thing is, like, does he really think that he can get away from God? I mean, does he actually think that he can escape God? Can he, can he run from God? Doesn't he know that you can't do that? You see, the way that God worked with his people was, you know, I reveal myself to you, my people, and then you are kind of like the way that the world sees who I am in your midst, uh, the way that you live, the things that you do, and you'll be the ones to bring the news of me to other people, which is what he's calling Jonah to do. And so in their understanding, uh, when you go to these places that are not like God's land, that are not God's people, that are not within Israel and within those areas, then you actually are thinking of it like I'm going to a place where God hasn't shown himself yet, where God hasn't revealed himself yet. Now, does Jonah believe that God won't see him? Does he believe that God doesn't know that he's going, that he can actually hide from God? You know, I don't think that he does. I think that he understands that God probably can see him. But Jonah knows something very interesting about how you get away from the voice of God if you don't want to keep following him. And that is you get away from all the people of God. Right? You get away from the place where you heard what he told you to do, and you get away from the people that might remind you of what he told you to do. So Jonah's like, I'm just getting out of there. I'm not going to be around any people who talk to me about Yahweh anymore. And if I can, then, uh, then I'll be good. I'll be safe. He'll eventually call someone else. He'll find someone else, and, uh, and I'll go off, and, and I'll be fine, and I'll live my life. 
I think this is a common thing that we do. You know, we don't just take like a break from God. We sort of take a break from the people or the place where we encounter God and where we see him the most. Jonah's got these problems that I talked about before, and what he chooses to do is to run from God. That's how he handles it. He runs from God when his word isn't clear. Or when his word is, so there are ways that we essentially run from God as well. And I think that the ways that we run from God are not as extreme often as the way that Jonah does. I've talked to few people who have just said to me flat out, like, I'm done. I'm done with him, and I'm going the other way. I have talked to some people who have said that. But most people, I think, that I've encountered, that I've known, or even in my own life, when running from God has happened, when, like, getting away from him and following him and being faithful to him and submitting my life to him, when that's happened, it hasn't looked as extreme as in Jonah. It's looked like this. First, it, we, we run from God, sometimes in situations where his word is so clear, and yet we act like it's not clear, Right? When his word is clear, but we are like confused about it, or we act like it's complicated, or we act like it's really super complex, and there's all these things that you can't really understand, and and, and all that stuff. That's one of the ways that I think we do that. It's kind of a way of saying, like, um, God said something, and the person goes, what? I didn't hear that anyway, right? This is one of the ways that we do this, is we encounter God. He is clear with us, but it's too hard for us to hear. Or we go, I, I, can't tr- I don't know how to trust that, that the God that I've been following, I don't know how to trust that I can live that out, I can do that thing, I can obey in this way, I can be faithful to him in this way, and it still makes any kind of sense. It's still the same kind of God that I can really do that. So instead, I just go, well, I don't really know, you know, it's unclear, you know. Uh, maybe you, you, you find a group of people who uh, will agree that it's unclear or confusing or something. Or maybe you just stop looking at God's word. You, you stop trying to understand it in that way. And you change the way that you even see God's word itself. And you go like, oh, it's, it's not something that really is as clear as maybe I once thought it was. But that's just a part of maybe me uh, maturing or growing in my faith. Is realizing it's so much more confusing, right? There's nothing black or white to it. I think another way that we run from God is when he's leading us somewhere and, uh, and we come up with excuses. When he's leading us somewhere, he's leading us to go somewhere and do something. He's leading us to be a certain way, to go to a certain people, to, to go to a certain situation. But we come up with all these excuses, And we go, well, here's why I can, here's why I can't. Jesus encountered this all the time. Jesus was calling people to things, and their response was excuses oftentimes. They said, let me go and do this. Wait until I finish this. You can't possibly mean this. It must only look like this over here. And so one of the ways that we run from God is instead of doing what he's he's calling us to do, we uh, sort of have all of these ways that we come up with that he couldn't possibly expect us to do that kind of a thing. This is where we kind of say, like, it has to make sense, right? It has to make sense. There couldn't possibly be a way that God would call me to do something that might cost me in some way or might not really, if I can't make total sense of how it's all supposed to play out in the lives of these people, I mean, if Jonah, God is calling him to do something, there's so many ways that what God is calling Jonah to do doesn't totally make sense. 
I mean, God told um, Abraham that he would be the father of many nations, told him that he would have a son, and then called him to sacrifice that son. You take the whole, it's his son part out of it, which is a pretty big one. You still have the fact that how in the world could he sacrifice this son and have God still make him the father of many nations? It's like the two things don't matter. They, it's like they don't work. They won't reconcile. And so if, if, if Abraham said, I can't possibly do what God calls me to do because it doesn't make enough sense to me, and it has to make sense. That's the most important thing then in some sense, God's called him to do something and you just make excuses and you make excuses and you, and you don't do it, you avoid it. But I think one of the most common ways that we run from God is we avoid the community of people where we encounter him. I think as God calls us to, to be a certain way, to live a certain way and to do certain things, I think the easiest thing to do in our culture today is to just, well, that's actually not true, because I think the first one's pretty easy to do as well. I think it's easy to say God's word isn't as clear as I used to think it was or as people used to think it was. But I think it's also super easy for us to say, like, uh, to, just, to just avoid the community or the people where we encounter God and we hear his voice. Um, it, it, it was believed that, that I, I think Jonah believed that if he got away from Israel, if he got away from his people, then he wasn't going to have to hear about this thing anymore. He wasn't going to have to be reminded about what God called him to do anymore. He chooses to go to a place where he thinks that's not going to happen. This is so easy to do. It's so easy to do this. It's so easy to avoid um, talking to the friends who might actually ask us, like, what is it what is it that God would say then about this thing? Or, or what do you think God is doing here? Or, well, how do you reconcile the way you're walking this out with what you, you felt that God told you, right? It's easy for us to go into isolation and to stop, like, sharing things even with other people. There's a pattern that happens in Scripture again and again where God calls someone um, and then there's a resistance to that call. And then God confirms his calling to that person with a sign. I think that's going to happen in Jonah, but we'll get to that later. There's a call, there's a resistance, and then there's a confirmation of the calling. And it's repeated in the lives of many people that God calls to difficult tasks. People like Abraham, people like Sarah, people like Moses, people like Jeremiah, People like Jonah, even the Apostle Peter, people who are called and then they, there's resistance. They push back or things get difficult. And then God confirms his calling. He does things to show people that he loves them too much to just let them go. And he loves the people he's calling them to too much to just let them go. I think the question that we have to ask, ultimately, when we look at the story of Jonah and the beginning of this story is, first, the question is, do I trust God? Especially when things don't make as much sense as I want them to. When things are going to cost me more than I think that I can give. Or can I trust God when circumstances make it hard for me to believe that he really loves me and has my best in mind? This sounds kind of sacrilegious to say, but 
I think that we all know what it's probably like to, maybe not all of us, but many know what it's like to work under a boss who you don't have respect for or who you, don't, who you think, like, I could do my job probably better. I could do that person's job probably better than them. You know, the, the show that I grew up on and many people, like, not really grew up on, but I, I was, I've, I've been very into is a show called The Office. And The Office is a show that, like, everyone could relate to. Because everyone worked at a job or in an office where they were like, who is this person that I'm having to report to, right? Who is this person who I'm having to, like, respect and do what they say, right? But a lot of people can relate to that feeling. Something that I've found that's interesting, and, and as I've talked with people, is that there's a, there's a very specific kind and a very strong kind of resentment that people feel when they're under someone who they don't trust, who they don't have confidence in. It like makes people like extra angry and, and, and bitter and resentful and frustrated. And then we can act in ways that we're totally ashamed of later. I think that it's so easy for us to do that same thing with God. As, as, as crass as that may sound, that we can be following God in our life and then he allows things to happen or then he calls us to do something and we go, I don't think he knows what he's doing. I don't think he knows what he's putting me in. I don't think he knows what this really is going to mean. But it all comes down to the same question. Do I trust God? Can I trust God? And I think if we haven't ever asked that question, it means we may not be listening to God. We may not be paying attention to what he's doing in our lives. Faith is saying, faith is saying, I God, I will trust you even when I don't understand what you're doing here. Faith is saying, God, I will trust you even when I don't think I can handle what you've put in front of me at all. Faith is saying, God, I will trust you are compassionate, that you are acting out of love for me and out of love for others because you care about us. Faith is saying, God, my hope is not in how well my life goes. My hope isn't even in how perfectly I obey what you're calling me to do. My hope is in Jesus and what he's done for me. Because of that, it's probably going to be messy. There will be times that I'm running from God. There will be times that I'm avoiding God. There will be times that I'm afraid, I'm terrified of leaning into what God has called me to do. Or there are going to be times that I'm terrified to just walk through what he has put me in with him. Because for most of us, running from God is simply saying, if I can't change what's happening, I can definitely choose to not walk through it with you, God. But faith, faith is saying God, I will still choose to trust you. And instead of going the other way, I'm going to choose to walk through this thing with you. And the good news is that, that our hope isn't in how good we are at walking through that thing perfectly. Our hope is in Jesus and what he's done for us, which is exactly what we look at and we reflect on as we take communion this morning, as we, as we worship together and as we move forward this week. Let's pray.